TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Badlands podcast, the only podcast out there that is 100% chiseled and is proudly part of the Chairshot Media Group. I am Mags, and with me on this very special weekend recording is uh, my podcast wife, Mr. Paul Talley. Paul, how are you? I've always wanted you to myself on the weekends, and now, <laughs> now it's a reality. Unfortunately, you haven't got me to yourself. Oh, um, got- okay. We've I'm got... happy to share on this in this instance. <laughs> That's very magnanimous of you. We've got one of the people who we've wanted on for over a year now. Uh, ever since we kind of joined Chairshot, was one of the uh, the the people that that we really wanted to work with. It's uh, the star of the Greg DeMarco show, definitely the star of the the Miranda show. Uh, it's Miranda Morales. Miranda, how are you? I'm doing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mags and Tali, for having me on. Uh, and yes, I, I would. I just, I'm going to keep that clip of how I'm the star of the Greg DeMarco show and just keep that uh, and just put that out anytime I, I need to check Greg or, or any, anybody else. Uh, but uh, no, thank, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to be on uh, the show today. And I'm just very honored to to be speaking with both of you. The the Chairshot.com and the Chairshot Podcast Network is truly a, a big collection of people from different interests and backgrounds and locations. And it's awesome when we get the chance to kind of, you know, work together. Yeah. Absolutely, we we love our kind of collaborating on on this show, and, and to to get you on is it's it's huge for us. We're really really proud. Um, you on is all to, ours. It's definitely all <laughs> ours. Um, so tell us about uh, about uh, the Greg DeMarco show, and tell us about your show, the Miranda Morales show. How did they come about? Uh, what's the kind of like uh, thought process behind them? I um, there's a thought process behind them because it's really um, no. With the Greg DeMarco show, that's, of course, a Greg DeMarco show. I call him the kingpin of the chairshot.com. Um, not only, you know, is he a, a writer, but he helps produce a, a, a lot of the shows. He helps create content. And so he's had his show uh, with his co-host, Patrick O'Dowd, for quite some time. Um, and about two years ago, uh, Greg invited me to join just as, you know, a, a special guest. And uh, I had so much fun on that episode, I never left, which is kind of an mo that i have once once i get in good with people i just never leave so that's how i joined that show um and it and it's just very fun it's energetic and i think my perspective on wrestling is definitely different i would say from patrick and, and greg's as far as my fandom is a little bit more not recent compared to theirs but they have knowledge going back you know to the 70s and 80s and i'm much more of a 90s child so that perspective is a little different and then my um fandom too with wrestling is much more storyline driven and based so that's what i gravitate to in my conversations and my point of views and perspectives so it, it ended up being really good 
um, to, to have, I think that, that other dynamic within the show, cause there's a lot of times that we agree on things, but there's also times that we don't agree. And I've certainly had Patrick and Greg look at me like, what did you say? Like, what were you thinking? Um, I get that on the, the weekly with Paul Tolov. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then actually the, the hashtag Miranda show was born out of a conversation Greg and I had at the Royal Rumble, so in 20, uh, in, uh, what was it, the beginning of 2019, oh my gosh, um, Greg and I were at the Royal Rumble in Phoenix, and Greg and Patrick had been teasing me that I didn't have a Twitter, um, so I didn't have a handle for Twitter, so they would just tag me as hashtag Miranda anytime they needed to reference something I said, so that I wanted a platform to kind of just share, again, my own kind of unique thoughts and perspective on wrestling, uh, and I jumped at it, and yeah, here we are uh, almost almost two years later, and I recorded that with Greg as kind of that, that concept, too, is fun because he plays in my co-host, so I kind of then get to tell him what to do and what we're talking about, uh, which is always really fun to boss him around. Um, I try and do it like it's my job, like I get paid to do it. But uh, again, too, I, I noticed the quirky things uh, about wrestling. You know, I love dumb stuff. I really do. Uh, I love dumb skits. I love dumb storylines that have, you know, I mean, I think there's a, a line between something that's legitimately stupid and things that are more comical and hilarious. Um, so that's what I get drawn to but also just my thoughts about you know the state of wrestling women's wrestling too which has grown so much over you know the past five years um i love that we get to talk more serious about it and how much that's really impacted the landscape of pro wrestling and, and everything in between so um those are that's really you know that that's the big difference too between i'd say the hashtag miranda show and, and the greg demarco show is for greg show i i'm kind of there to chime in and provide my thoughts within that team and in the hashtag miranda show i'm really just leading the crazy train <laughs> well i don't know if i'm happy with you putting the idea into paul's head of having a, a paul tolly led show i don't fancy being bossed about by mr paul tolly but it'd be a disaster yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely would uh, it'd be crazy but fun disaster um, but yeah I, I love the kind of uh, the three way dichotomy that you have on uh, the Greg DeMarco show you you really do add a, a different mindset and a different kind of uh, ideas to, to both uh, uh, Greg and Patrick so yeah it, re- it works really really well and it's kind of like the, the standard bearer for, for the, the whole network yeah, thank, thank you. No, I, and yeah, the Greg DeMarco show, it really is, I mean, a cornerstone of the site. And two, yeah, it's been an honor just to, to be part of that uh, that dynamic between Greg and Patrick. And I know Greg and I are friends, but I'm also working on Patrick. I know Patrick will be on your show soon. So if you can try and put in a good word for me, because I want to be best <laughs> friends with Patrick, but he doesn't always like me. So I just want, I, I want... can't believe that that's true. I know I'm adorable. <laughs> I don't get it, but um, I, I really want to be friends with Patrick. So if you guys can put in a good word for me with Patrick O'Dowd, I'd appreciate it. We'll certainly try. I mean, how can you not like the queen of soft style? I, I, you know what? Uh, I struggle with that question all the time, really. I mean, you guys are, you are asking the hard hitting questions and I appreciate that because I, I really don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, for some reason, Patrick doesn't and I'm just going to, I'm just going to win him over. I'm going to work on him. Uh, and, and sooner or later, Patrick and I will be best friends too. Hopefully with the magic of editing, I can, I can maybe put his words together to make it sound like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just 
have him, you know, if you write out some kind of script that you have for him and, and maybe, yeah, do some magical editing and it turns, you know, and it's Patrick ended up saying, you know, that he loves Miranda Morales and we're best yeah, I can, I can just say, what are your thoughts, Amanda? Uh, would you ever be her best friend? And he's like, no, I will never be her best friend. And then I'll just edit the little bits out and he's, I will be her best friend. There you go. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> throw some other questions about maybe tag team wrestling or old school, you know, maybe NWA. <laughs> and or talk to him about the boys and then whatever good things he says about those, then just flip them in. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, well, we'll, if we're on our we'll best behavior, set a good example. Pretend, pretend that we're best friends, and uh, <laughs> may, may, maybe oh, Patrick will want a best a friend himself. That's a stretch, Paul. I don't. Know if I can. I can do that. <laughs> just, just, just one day. Not laughing, you. <laughs> nah, you, you guys, you guys. Again, your dynamic too is really. It's really fun. I, I just, like I said, I'm very, very excited. A little nervous, I have to admit, uh, to be on here, but just more uh, thrilled because. This, this too, I mean, uh, I just really love the flow uh, of your show. The concept is just wonderful. And you guys are both incredibly smart um, and talented. So again, thank you so much for, for having me on today. Well, that's, that, those are amazing words and we really do appreciate it. We've, we've always had the kind of idea of just bringing fun to wrestling. It's, it's, we never try and be too serious and we just right. like to have a, a, a laugh because it's ridiculous if you think about it objectively <laughs> wrestling should not be a thing at all but yeah it's just we we'd just like to bring the fun back to it yeah that really means a lot thank you thank you so Miranda seeing as you've never been on Badlands before uh we what we like to do is gather everybody uh who's ever been on the show and get their their Mount Rushmore the greatest wrestlers of all time so uh the uh, resident accountant here Mr Tully can collate the list and now uh, we can get a definitive Mount Rushmore uh so who are the four uh, guys or gals that are that are your go- uh, goats of wrestling and, and a little bit of a reason why each one made the pick Yes. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, I am a 90s child of wrestling. So my Mount Rushmore skews a little bit more in that direction. But I also have, I think, some solid justification behind it. Um, and so what's your preference? Me just list out the names uh, and then provide my explanation or just Go one by it. one? However you want to provide oh, it. Okay. All right, then. Well, I would say uh, I'll kind of just go one by one. Um, The first one on my list um, is The Undertaker. And, uh, you know, he's been wrestling for longer than, you know, a a lot of fans have been alive. And the one thing that's been really unique about him is his longevity within the WWF and WWE, but also the evolution of his character, how he's been able to change in some ways very dramatically, but also in some ways very subtly and still carry on the persona of The Undertaker. He's also been seen as his flag bearer for, for WWF during a really crazy time in the in the 90s and in the 2000s um and you know not only just his his physical stature but the representation he has and meaning he has to people within that company not vince but also a lot of people um in in the back and those wrestlers i mean his influence really transcends not only what's in the ring but behind the scenes and the culture uh of of pro wrestling and he also really made wrestling cool you know this dark character that uh at first was very scary for kids, but as you grew up with him, became cooler and more mysterious. Um, and something that probably wasn't meant to last as long as it has did. 
And uh, he's just someone that I, I, I truly think his influence in pro wrestling is just beyond what we see in front of the, the TV. It's, you know, so much more. And I, I cannot imagine the wrestling world without The Undertaker. Yeah, we, we've spoke about him so much. I, I, I had knows him on this show. He's just, he's literally the, the greatest gimmick that's that's mm-hmm. ever been in wrestling. And the fact that he's... He's had that longevity, and he's still relevant today. It's just absolutely amazing. And and it, the, I've read an interview recently that he said he, he doesn't feel like he's even ready to retire now, but the the, the kind of dead man character is probably uh, probably finished, but he wants to carry on still doing these kind of cinematic matches. And, yeah, everybody wants to wrestle The Undertaker, and that just shows how much of an influence he's had on the wrestling world. Yeah. And and you're right too about the cinematic concept because for him that would be perfect in in not only for his persona but just the way that the status of his career. Um and and again that's the evolution of the Undertaker. Something that started, you know, back in the early 90s that you know was kind of hokey has evolved into something you know, way, way more. Um, and, and so I I could absolutely see that and I would love for it, selfishly, uh, to see more of that in cinematic matches and the Undertaker's for that. Um, my next person, uh, going back a little further, uh, is Ric Flair. Uh, Ric Flair is someone that, you know, I, I understand there's a lot of conversation around, you know, um, wrestlers who've kind of transcended pro wrestling into pop culture um, and and even, you know, wrestlers who have uh, provided more than just wrestling, have provided, you know, characters that people want to be. And to me, Ric Flair is the ultimate person that, you know, every man had kind of envisioned wanting to be. The styling, profiling, jet flying, uh, you know, everything about him. And I know that his character really started off as a heel and, and um, you know, it was all uh, about showing off luxury in comparison to others that were more um, about, you know, pulling yourself off by the bootstraps. You know, he was really uh, beyond, too, I think, well, a lot of athletes look to Ric Flair as the creator and king of swag. The reason why we see athletes now that are kind of have these luxury lifestyles, I think has a big influence to Ric Flair, Mm -hmm. Um, but also just his commitment to the professional, the profession of, of wrestling, you know, everything that he's done throughout the, the world, um, his multiple title reigns, um, having some of the best feuds out there. And he really did his, his best with a lot of his feuds to, to put, you know, his competitors over. And it's something that I've just always admired about Ric Flair and talk about someone who keeps on going even to, to now, you know, he's still involved in storylines. He still, um, is part of the, makeup of professional wrestling even in you know uh little little ways and appearances but rick flair i think has helped modernize almost the professional athlete um but i think that that his character just transcends wrestling into to pop culture and uh and also just being a fantastic wrestler like those those things that combination i think shows like how big his influence uh is in the sport of pro wrestling yeah it's a, an, another great pick um one that's uh been at the the top since pretty much day one uh on, on our mount rushmore um yeah his, his influence will will 
live on way past uh, him, and he, he seems pretty much indestructible. Um, the the amount of people who've been influenced by him, as like I said, as a wrestler, not but also as like a with character work, uh, even in in like I said, pop culture stuff. I mean, the guys now in his what seventies and he's still influencing rappers now today. Mm-hmm. He's got his own. He's got songs about him, and mm-hmm. he's uh, over here in in Britain. He's the face of the the BT. Um, sport adverts for, for for pro wrestling so yeah he he will be forever atop the man rushmore in my eyes i agree the next person on this list is is really my personal favorite this is why i'm a wrestling fan pure 90s kid watching the monday night wars and you know uh, especially monday night raw stone cold steve austin he is my absolute favorite, and I he is the reason why I'm a pro wrestling fan, um, even to this day. Uh, the work that he did in, in the 90s and how he launched it, really, I, I see that the, there was this big turning point. Even though the Attitude Era was, was still kind of in its infancy in, uh, I believe it was early 98, um, that moment when Stone Cold won the WWF Championship for Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 14, that is the clear, distinct period that I remember that that hooked me in as a fan. I was watching that story between him and Shawn Michaels from the Royal Rumble to WrestleMania. That was really when I was first kicking in. And then everything after that, you know, just uh, I was fascinated again by his character, about who he was. He, he didn't care about anything and anyone. Um, he had this, you know, very much an anti hero though he had some type of a moral compass you know i always thought that that interesting dynamic between him and vince especially through that crazy storyline with stephanie getting kidnapped by the undertaker um and uh you know that black wedding and stone cold ultimately being the one that saved stephanie you know it, it shows that he was one of the most complex characters at that time um, because of all the things that he hated from Vince and all the back and forth. He did have that tinge of, of being a good person. And that always was something that I just, I was drawn to, um, and, and his performances. And I know he wasn't necessarily the most, uh, at that point, too, we didn't get to see as much of his, his technical wrestling ability. I know a lot of that came more in the beginning, like with uh, or in the in '97, like with with uh, Bret Hart. You know, there was elements that we didn't get to see as as he got to his peak. But again, transcending into pop culture, I mean, he's one of the biggest reasons that wrestling hit that boom period in the late '90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But he is a character to this day that I could just study and just watch, and I'm just fascinated by um, because he really you know, did everything for himself. And he did things that fans would have loved to do. You know, he was the badass that I always wanted to be. And so I always just felt that tie. And uh, the things that he did too were very subtle. In his facials, you know, he had the middle fingers and he could yell and scream. But just in the way that he walked, a lot of his nonverbal cues were things that I picked up on today. Man, that's just badass. So um, this too, I mean, I'm sure it's a credit to his um, his his long career. But for me personally, he is just my favorite of all time. Another another outstanding pick, and uh, certainly a person who, if he if he wasn't around, wrestling would have would not have hit those kind of boom periods it hit in the in the late nineties. And the way that we got the best heel in Mister McMahon from from uh, his his uh, his 
uh, rivalry with Stone Cold is just absolutely brilliant. And we're still seeing that kind of Mr. McMahon character now. So that's a, a massive kind of a respect to Stone Cold there. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love Stone Cold. He was always one of my uh, big favourites, and it's a, a stellar pick. Thank you. And then the the last one, I went back and forth. I still stick to this pick. Some of it is is definitely due to my 90s influence, but I kind of think that for me, the fact that this person was able to do a lot in such a short amount of time, um, I know a lot of people probably would have had Hulk Hogan uh, on their Mount Rushmore. Um, and, and I totally understand why, but I, for me, I had a stronger pull to the rock. Um, even though I got to see more of Hulk Hogan in, in the late nineties, when it came to, uh, the NWO and his kind of transformation outside of the Hulk, uh, Hulkster into Hollywood Hogan. For me, I was just always more impressed by the rock. Um, his promo work is some of the best in existence his ability to say things that were silly but to connect with the crowd was insane and things you know it's almost like lightning in a bottle with him you know he talked up he mentions he's the most electrifying man in sports entertainment and i truly believe that because everything he did just he was able to capture it in a way that got fans so excited to be wrestling fans that got them to be proud to be wrestling fans and some of his fate my some of my favorite Times of the Rock was more in there, you know, that late 90s period when he um, was working with the Nation of Domination. We had that kind of nation versus DX rivalry. His matches against uh, Triple H were some of my favorites. I think that they're a lot more underrated than his work with Stone Cold. But of course, that whole program with him and Stone Cold, you know, for years and kind of them always seeing who was going to be the top guy. And, and like I mentioned with a lot of these, I mean, his influence transcends uh, pro wrestling beyond. And he's doing things now that, you know, I think has helped really helped pave the way for other pro wrestlers to go into other avenues outside of pro wrestling. But he still has those ties to pro wrestling with his family, with, you know, his career. And, and he does fairly acknowledge how pro wrestling is a part of his life still, um, even if it's not in that big capacity. But I mean, you talk about someone that, that as a kid I gravitated to, that I wanted to listen to, that made wrestling fun to watch. Um, it, it's The Rock. And I can't, it's, it's just very hard for me to not think of him as being, you know, one of the reasons why we have wrestling in, in the form that we have it today. Yeah, and again, it's a, an outstanding pick. I, I can't see anybody being able to kind of emulate the the kind of crossover that the the Rock did in 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 mainstream uh, media. And I honestly think he's going to be uh, American president one day because he's just got that kind of charisma uh, that he he could literally lead the country. Is yeah, it's a great pick. That's that's made it a bad episode for Hulk Hogan. Because <laughs> all all of his uh, all of his rivals right there at the top of the top of the Rushmore got got a vote. So you send our, our, our Mount Rushmore now. We've got um, Ric Flair on thirty two votes, The Rock on thirty, Steve Austin on twenty nine, and then you have um, Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker tied on twenty one each for that final position. And wow, they've no effect on our on our most entertaining battle, the uh, <laughs> the Bret Hart and. They're still Shawn Michaels won ahead on 13. I was actually going to ask, how does that affect the Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart battle? <laughs> Got to keep an eye on the Shawn Michaels-Bret Hart battle. Yeah, it, it's such a 
it's it's really took up a laugh of its own over the last few weeks that that kind of rivalry. Yeah. Yes. It, it, oh my gosh. That's I was very I was I was torn. I have to admit it did cross my mind to think maybe I ended up thinking maybe I put Bret Hart as you know I mean that that was something that did cross my mind but I ended up with this this list and so uh, it's good to know where the tally is because I I was uh, I was tempted so now I know. <laughs> and back to our theory, uh, Max, that the Undertaker's off screen now. And suddenly he's back in contention for the top four. Yeah, it it, it rung so true. I mean, he he was a, a massive part of WrestleMania, and then lost so much ground on 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 the rest of the the Mount Rushmore. And then now he's back off off uh, off screens. And we've had that that um, that documentary series uh, of his last ride, and people kind of like uh, related that to him maybe retiring. And he's getting votes again. Yeah, I don't. Whew, I loved the last ride series, and and he still plays not coy, but I think he's still somewhat indecisive because that that whole mm-hmm. journey too showed he was indecisive for years. Uh, he kept going. So maybe that's a sign that there's, you know, at least at this point, you can never truly say never because we saw him go back and forth between, you know, okay, maybe it's after Roman, I'm done. You know, now maybe after AJ, I'm done. Um, and, but who who knows? Maybe another um, something could come up, and uh, like you said, Mag's cinematic matches for him, I think, could be a perfect way of still having him wrestle, but in, in an environment which is much more controlled and safer for him to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, I think I think he probably was he probably was done. But then, as you say, this uh, this whole cinematic avenue has kind of given his career a bit of a. Bit, a bit of extra longevity that no one would have thought would have would have been there. Um, as a massive opportunity for him to carry on for who knows how long. Yeah, and I think it kind of shows the kind of pull of the wrestling business that you that you could be almost out or have one one foot out the door, and then you you get pulled mm-hmm. back in, and then all of a sudden your your careers are revitalized again. It's yeah, it's a it'll be it'll be a, a sad day for wrestling when he he finally does like, yes. hang up those boots. It will be. So Miranda, let's uh let's hit this main topic then. Um, you you I don't know whether to say you looked out or you or you got a Delta Raw car, but we uh we've got the Mount Rushmore of the worst wrestling debut. So that's uh wrestlers who had a terrible time when they first showed up for a for a new promotion. Um, let's go with your first pick. Who's uh who makes your your first pick on the the Mount Rushmore of, of worst wrestling debuts? Oh my gosh! I I <laughs> this one is a fun one because there's there's a lot uh, from here, and I think there's mm. some that are like just universal that I know we'll touch on. Um, but uh, this one, I think I but but list this because this is the you you look up in the dictionary uh, terrible wrestling debuts, and this is it, and that's Shockmaster. Um, at Clash of the Champions in 1993. I mean, that, to me, it, everything that, that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, and it's now lives in infamy um, as really the worst. Like, when you when something is Shockmaster level bad, like, you know it's bad. Um, <laughs> like, and, and, and even then, like, everything about it just was so... British Bulldog in the background was laughing like you couldn't take any of it seriously um the there was glitter everywhere from the storage room out like there's 
so many terrible, terrible things, <laughs> but it's hilarious now. And, um, you know, I've heard the saying, if, if it if it went right, no one would have remembered it. So mm -hmm. I think in the long scheme of this thing called life, you know, uh, there's a reason why we remember it. But I mean, I, I, this this literally is the definition of terrible debuts. It's absolutely, and it's definitely one of my picks, and I'm sure Paul's got it on on his list as well. It's definitely on the short list. But pro wrestling and glitter should never should never meet, should they? It was it was like Miranda <laughs> said. It was just everything that that could have gone wrong went wrong. The fact that he tripped over through the 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 drywall, the fact that the helmet came off, the uh, horrific costume he had on that kind of furry yes. waistcoat. Oh gosh! The, the way he was uh, trying to like mom to the words but the words were coming from from i think it was ollie anderson what did the voice how uh the rest of the the wrestlers didn't just like just break down laughing is beyond me uh i don't give uh sid vicious a lot of props but i have to give him props <laughs> right? for the fact he kept a straight face he in this. It was so good. it's but, something so terrible that sid vicious made it good and that's like that's yeah. a rarity, right? He usually makes things worse, but he, he made it better. <laughs> and I think what kind of nails it down for me is as as uh, the perfect first pick is the fact that they didn't kind of like bury it after this. That anything like this uh, goes wrong in WWF, they kind of that right that lets Bruce out on the carpet, and it never happened. They they doubled down on it and they started repackaging. Uh, uh, Shotmaster as like an idiot, as like a klutz mm. who kept having like uh, mishaps like this, and then they tripled down on it when uh, they uh, introduced a new character called the Super Shotmaster, which was the Shotmaster's nephew, but he was still played by Tugboat or AKA Fred Ottman and referred to himself, the Shotmaster, as Uncle Fred. It was just <laughs> absolutely abysmal. Yeah. And, uh, it's 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 the, the the it has to be the first pick. It really really does. Yeah. Be. That's a brutal brutal way to start your WCW character career. <laughs> right. The crazy thing for me is uh, I, I did I'd completely forgotten this until researching it. He won the War Games match. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Even after all that, he won the match. It's it's mental, and it's a yeah. great first pick. Yeah, well, they, it sounds like they had to double down, like like you said. I mean, the, this the intent was not for it to be a comedy character, so they they had this plan that he was going to come in and be something you know very scary and intimidating, and then everything rolled out where you know he was a bumbling idiot. But at that point, they had booked themselves into a corner, and they had to have him win. I mean. I often think I'd love to kind of be a fly on the wall in these booking meetings, but this one you would have especially wanted to be there just to see who put the idea of putting a stormtrooper helmet into the mix and then someone chirping in from the back going, let's make it glittery. <laughs> just, uh, how does how do these thoughts go through people's heads? <laughs> but, yeah, it's a great first pick. Is it, um, is it my turn to go first this week, Paul, or is it your turn to I go first? I think it's your turn this week. That's a that's very very uh, much of a shock. Um, okay, so I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with a, a character with Matt Bloom. Uh, obviously, we know Matt Bloom now as uh, the head trainer of, of NXT, uh, but he actually debuted on uh, WF television in April uh, of 1989, uh, saving Droz from the beating of one of our. Badlands and Mr. Paul Tully's uh, favourite people, the Big Boss Man. Uh, 
uh, and he was actually introduced as the personal body artist of uh, Droz, and he was called Prince Albert. Now, obviously, we uh, we know what Prince Albert meant, but uh, back then it was kind of a euphemism uh, for I think it's a kind of a genital piercing. Um, so anyway, over the next uh, five and a half years, Albert went through kind of little gimmick changes uh, and, and name changes, but it was. It was mainly in, in kind of tag teams and factions. Uh, he ended up in a, a faction with a boss man. He was in TNA with Test, obviously. Then uh, uh, X Factor with Just Incredible and X Pack, uh, which is where he won his, his first and only title, which uh, was the RC strap when he beat Kane. And he also had a, a little bit of a, a run as the hippo uh, with uh, Scotty Too Hot Air. Uh, before he settled down to his longest kind of running WWE gimmick, which was Air Train. Uh, but unfortunately for, for Mr. Bloom, he got injured in 2004 with a, a torn rotator cuff and he got released. And that's when he travelled to, to Japan. He had a short stay in all Japan before uh, before landing in New Japan. He was a multiple uh, IWGP and uh, GHC tag team champion and he actually still holds the record today with uh, Carl Anderson uh, for the longest single reign of 564 days. Now, uh, after he had this kind of good, great stint in uh, in Japan, really kind of making a name for himself, he uh, he got the call from WWE and uh, they wanted him back. And this is the the the, the bad debut that I'm gonna I'm gonna be speaking about. He uh, returned under a new character, uh, kind of uh, playing on the the Japanese influence that he had uh, from being a, a part of New Japan, and he came back as Lord Tensar. Now the WWE's kind of impression for this was he was going to be a new top heel, uh, really kind of like I said, playing on that that Japanese influence, uh, but. On the first night that he showed up in WWE with those drawn-on ridiculous tattoos, <laughs> uh, which were pretty much straight out of the the Hakushi playbook, he was he was destined to fail. The fans straight away were cheering Albert, Albert, and telling him to shave his back. Uh, and his debut <laughs> match was actually against. Alex Riley, uh, and even though he, he won the match, uh, the crowd at the end were actually chanting for Daniel Bryan. Um, and then even after this match, he went on a, a great run of, of, um, of wins. He was undefeated for for months uh, until he was beat by Super Cena, as, as most wrestlers in that time were. Uh, he was then teamed up with uh, Broadus Clay and formed uh, that infamous tag team Tons of Funk. Uh, but he soon retired after that um, in in 2014. And like I said, he's now the head trainer of of uh, NXT. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to put forward Lord Tenzar for hours. <laughs> he's a, a terrible debut, a terrible gimmick. <laughs> but how, how else would you know he'd spend some time in Japan if he didn't have Japanese runes drawn on his face? Right. <laughs> exactly. just, oh. you, you need to tell the audience. You just need to spell it out to the audience. And again, I mean, a lot of those those fans grew up in, you know, the 90s. And so you look at him, I, I can't imagine for most fans, they're looking at him at 
as Prince Albert. That was his most, you know, successful persona and, and what people knew him by for, for years. So the fact that you try to reintroduce him uh, as something completely different, wrestling fans can, can if they don't like something, they're going to be very adamant about not liking it and making sure they let the company know they don't like it. And very unfortunately, you know, that had an impact, I think, on, you know, the, the trajectory of this character because it sounded like they really wanted to make him this menacing monster yeah. and, and have a, a, a good program. Uh, but the fans didn't let it like they just were not having it. And uh, yeah, I also, you know, I just don't think American audiences uh, are very receptive uh, to uh, cultural characters. Uh, especially if it's someone that's not within that specific culture. Um, and they don't really know what happens, especially WWE fans don't know what happens outside of the realm of WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, they had no idea about his time in Japan and the impact and influence he had there. And they probably didn't care. So that's why it just felt so flat. But, uh, you know, I I can appreciate the redirection, but come on now. I think for wrestling fans, you have to just lay things out very simplistic. Like, don't make it, don't overcomplicate it. And I think in this way, they, they tried to, and it just didn't work. Yeah, I think I think you were spot on with the fact that uh, uh, WWE fans uh, don't really know a lot outside their own bubble. But... I think the 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 other kind of defining factor is that sometimes WWE don't give fans the credit for for having memories. Uh, how many times do we do people say on Raw that they they get sick of things being repeated over and over again? Uh, every 10, 15 minutes, uh, Michael Cole telling you what's just happened on Raw, and the. I think this was a, a a perfect example of of wrestling fans remembering someone mm-hmm. and and not yeah. kind of lacking how, what they turned into. <laughs> I think if I remember rightly, the the vignettes the, the, there was no telling that it it was it was a, it was a Matt Bloom. So, so, what? Oh, straight away you could, could you? In, yeah. If you uh, the vignettes that I watched in uh, to research this was. It was the back. You could see the back of him, and you could see that it was definitely not uh, uh, an an Asian person. It was definitely bald headed, and yeah, instantly you can tell it's it's Matt Bloom. You can well tell. See, I don't think I don't I don't think I could. Uh, and part of the, the disappointment I'll, I'll for me was this name. cool character was coming out, and then it was just Albert. I love your <laughs> name, Paul. It's such a blessing. But uh, is that staying on our Matt Rushmore, Paul? Are you no, using your power of veto? Definitely, it was on my short list, so I've got to keep it there. Good pick. Uh, so, Miranda, let's go back to you for for your second pick. Oh, this one is hard because uh, there's so many terrible things in wrestling. <laughs> um, but I was kind of drawn to this uh, iteration, uh, this transformation, character transformation. It kind of aligns with with what we were just talking about. But of one Chavo Guerrero Jr. Uh, back in 2005, uh, after he jumped uh, from SmackDown to Raw, um, he had been in this kind of rivalry program with the Mexican him up, and through that, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, to be honest, how this happened. It just happened. Um, But he ended up uh, kind of denouncing um, his Hispanic heritage and evolved into uh, Kerwin White, um, which was a middle-class golfer type of uh, 
Anglo-American. I'm, I'm not sure the terminology in this case because there's nothing official about it. But he dyed his hair blonde, went into the ring in, in a golf cart, and even started changing the way that he talked, mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and he just that it kind of had more of an elitist attitude that just but it, it was kind of rooted in race, which was not good. And um, it just it to me like this this the introduction of Kerwin White too, the way the commentary played it up as I think confusion was the right angle to it. The fans hated it. Um, and to me, like, I just felt like it was such a waste for Chavo um, to, to go through this, you know, it just, it, to me, um, it just didn't make a, a, any sense. And, and, you know, probably to get a, a lot of heat. Absolutely. I understand that, but it also doesn't help uh, the WWE uh, historically uh, by again, the way that they treat people from different cultures and the way that they treat, uh, you know, culture within characters and in personas. And um, this was just the worst thing ever. <laughs> I just like, I can't imagine now them doing something like this, but it was supposed to be comical. I mean, through it, I think the, I guess the only good thing out of that is we did get, you know, uh, Nick Nemeth, AKA Dolph Ziggler as the caddy. Um, and we got that introduction, but other than that, I just felt like, again, fans knew it was Chavo, so they were rooting for him. Um, the concept of the new persona and gimmick was just terrible. Um, and it, it, you know, just like the, the whole, all of the vignettes and everything were awful. I just can't describe it any other way, but, um, that I'm going to put that out there. Yeah, this is uh, whenever we have kind of like terrible Mount Rushmore's. This one tends to be brought up a lot. With a uh, yeah, it's so bad and just how this how this became a gimmick is is unreal. There's no upside to this gimmick whatsoever, and the way they kind of like rubber stamped it with his catchphrase of "If it ain't white, it ain't it's right." right. Oh, yeah. wow. oh dear, just, I can't. I don't. I. I, I you know, like it's just I, I'm left speechless through that. Like that, who you know, like I think someone would have paid money to be Lord Tensai at that moment instead of Kerwin <laughs> White. Absolutely. If I was in that situation, I'd be like, give me Tensai a million times over than Kerwin. But yeah, it was a it's a, a horrific, horrific gimmick, and it's a great pick for this match as well. And it was on my shortlist, and I'm sure it's probably on Paul's shortlist as well. Luckily, I wasn't watching at that point, so <laughs> I had to rewatch shortlist. this. Yeah, I had to rewatch this whole, it's... you know, driving driving up to the ring in his little cart and and all of that too. I just like I think the crowd reaction too was talking about debuts like that really made it, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it stuck in. But I, you know, I'm, I was curious. I mean, how much he how he felt saying these things and this whole transformation for him. Um, you know, I, I get the, the, the person of Chavo Guerrero, you know, maybe hadn't had hit some of the, you know, uh, career pinnacles. Um, and, and, you know, his time in WWE too was, you know, somewhat up and down, but mm-hmm. this re-debut, like, I, I, I just don't, I just can't get, there's nothing about it that I can ever get on board and justify. Yeah, it, it's what I watched it back to for to research my bits and it's it's that cringy, it makes your hair stand up on end that how oh it's just 
It's, it's awkward to watch back. Yes, it's not funny. Not like haha Shockmaster funny. It is. Oh my gosh, this is this makes me feel very uncomfortable. This mm-hmm. is awful. Yeah, it's a it's a, a stellar pick for this Mount Rushmore, um, Mr. Tolly. Let's go to you then for your first pick. Okay, I've gone for a slightly different tack. Do you know what I'm like? <laughs> That's not like you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I I don't think many people can claim to have been fired on their main roster debut. Oh, and I don't think many people can cl- I don't think many people can claim to have been fired on their main roster debut, then go on to have one of those spectacular careers of any WWE superstar. But on 7th of June 2010, Daniel Bryan debuting on Raw as part of one of the greatest debuts of all time, the Nexus, mm-hmm. achieved that infamy when uh his actions got him fired. Um, Daniel Bryan, of course, at this point was already hugely popular among uh, hardcore wrestling fans um, from his kind of pre-career as, uh, as the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. He won PWG World Championships, Ring of Honor World Championships, IWGP Tag Championships, Pro Wrestling Noah Junior Championships. Uh, he's the Wrestling Observer, best technical wrestler and most outstanding wrestler for the four years prior to joining the WWE. Um, and then upon joining WWE, he went into uh, the first edition of NXT, which um, if we're talking about bad debuts, we should we should probably put NXT in as well, because <laughs> NXT was not the show that it is now. <laughs> if anyone remembers, it's more like a game show mm-hmm. um, than, a, than, a, than a brilliant wrestling show. But Daniel Bryan quickly kind of became the star of that Um inaugural series his relationship with the Miz during that series is kind of still referenced by both yeah. of them to this date um he had a terrible win-loss record in that series but still he got over with the fans because he was he was Daniel Bryan um once NXT ended of course came this brilliant storyline where the rookies came to make their mark and they crashed um as the Nexus they they crashed the uh, an episode of Raw, uh, crashed the main event between John Cena and CM Punk. Uh, so alongside Wade Barrett, Darren Young, Ryback, Michael Tarver, Justin Gabriel, Heath Slater, and David Otunga, Daniel Bryan evaded the show. They laid waste to Cena and Punk, and um, uh, Luke Gallows was there, and basically anyone who got in their way. And unfortunately, one of the people who got in their way was Justin Roberts, who inexplicably the Nexus stripped. I don't know. I don't know why they did that. They stripped him, and then Daniel Bryan decided to uh, choke him with his with with his own tie. Um, after doing that, um, apparently I've not seen this, but apparently Daniel Bryan also, as a, as a measure of extra disrespect, spat at John Cena. These two actions were were deemed to be far beyond WWE's PG rating and unacceptable. And Daniel Bryan was fired, um, despite all that talent and, and popularity. Um, so that's a pretty terrible main roster debut to end up getting fired. Um, obviously, we know the rest. He came back two months later, rehired to fight against the Nexus in a in a Survivor Series match, and then he's just gone on to to win everything and become even more popular than ever. Um, but as debuts go, it's pretty terrible for Daniel Bryan. It's um, it's a great pick. Yeah, he did have a, a an awful debut. Um, 
I am tempted to veto it just because it's not kind of standout awful for me. It doesn't, it's not like, oh, do you remember when Daniel Bryan got fired? Like the, the, the picks that I've got are all, oh, good God, that was horrific. How did that get on TV? <laughs> I can understand uh, it, Daniel Bryan being a pick, but I'm not going to veto it because it, it, it was shocking that he got fired for, for, for that kind of actor. So, yeah, it can, it can stay on. Thank you very much. I, I, I threw it in for that reason because I think people do forget that happened. Mm-hmm. Pro- yeah. Yeah. Partly because of what he did afterwards, and partly because it was such a short amount of time he was fired anyway. But yeah. I think there'd be people who, sh- who 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 are shocked to remember that Daniel Bryan got fired. That's a very true point, and you started off, I think, with the right tone of I don't know anyone else who's gotten fired right after their debut like that. Like it was, it was a pretty short timeline, um, and, and so I think though, as far I, I can understand Max's perspective on that because. Um, you know, for some of these people, once these debuts happened, they never recovered uh, from from those terrible debuts. And this one is the opposite. Luckily, he's had a, a long career with a lot of success and becoming one of the biggest, you know, wrestling stars of, you know, this this time period. Um, and so it is very interesting, though, to see where it all started and how much things can change and how you can you know, of move past that. And yeah, who, like, what kind of strategy is that? Like, let's just start stripping this man of his clothes because we want to just <laughs> cause chaos. Like, what is that about? I don't, I never understood that as well. Yeah, I, I wonder if uh, if it, they were kind of given, like, free reign, just go and cause some mayhem, or whether it was, like, hyper-scripted to the point where they were told to to strip Justin Roberts. It'd be interesting to find out if, if there was a little lap mark in the script, uh, strip Justin Roberts, and he's looking at it like, shit, I'm getting stripped. I best yeah, wear some clean underwear. Like, how uncomfortable would that be? It's like, they're going to start taking off my clothes on television? Like that? You'd, you'd like to hope he was prepared for that. For that. Yes. But also, I remember mean, his face when he was being choked was hilarious as well. No, yeah. The, I mean, that that visual was very... Oh, you know, I I get it. I mean, because I think that too, he sold it so well. I I can't necessarily attest to how much of that choking was, was that pain was real, but oh, you know, Justin is, is a professional and I think he understood that. And, but to that point too, oh, they probably, I can imagine that, you know, just like a lot of things in wrestling, you start off by talking, oh yeah, we'll do this, we'll do that. And then when you actually go out and do it, it looks up way different (laughs) and you just take it to you know a next level like whoa we didn't talk about that that wasn't agreed upon (laughs) and that easily could have been that you know what happened with daniel bryan and and justin roberts i also love the idea that daniel bryan's so chill that the potential he got out there and just got far too excited like a little kid (laughs) and just went mad (laughs) maybe that's the reason he became a vegan was he needed to (laughs) <laughs> to, to get all the toxins system. out. Yeah, to too hyperactive. Down, yes. <laughs> all, all that meat just got him way too hyped up. Yeah. And so we had to just take it down a notch. It's a great pick. Uh, and very different to what I expected from you as well, Paul. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely staying on. Let's go to you, Miranda, for your third pick. Oh, man. This one... Um... 
I'm gonna go with stupid. I like. Uh, I I wouldn't come to this show and not give you stupid because that's that's a guarantee that I like to give. Um, and this one is the ECW Zombie from October 2011, oh, the very God. first episode of ECW on Sci-Fi. Um, that yeah that talking about cringeworthy and what are we doing and oh my gosh um yes it was it was the very first episode of, of ecw on sci-fi this was right when you know wwe uh brought ecw back as a third brand and uh supposedly you know uh there's a lot of stories out there that you know one of the elements of being on sci-fi uh network which was more you know uh based out of um content about the supernatural and extraterrestrial and and horror that the uh company or that the uh, cable network wanted to have those elements on ecw and one of those examples apparently was the zombie um he came out uh and speaking of justin roberts justin roberts is a professional because he had to announce the ECW zombie coming to the ring. So he, he's a professional that he had to do that and make it sound exciting. Uh, but his, the music he came out to almost sounded like Dracula's music. I don't know why they decided to go with that type of, you know, big horror fancy music. Um, and when he got into the ring, oh, he, he grabbed the mic and cut a quote unquote promo. But it was just him, him moaning, moaning things. I don't know what. Um, And fortunately enough, though, he was interrupted by his opponent, who was the Sandman, um, who was up in the stands. The Sandman came down. um, And the only thing Sandman did right, anybody knows this, when you are in a battle with a zombie, um, you got to go straight for the head. Uh, So the first thing he did is he kendoed uh, the zombie right on the head. And uh, then continue to kendo him multiple times all over, you know, his body. But, you know, that too, I guess maybe in the same line of, of the Shockmaster that it's so embarrassing. You just can't, you don't know how this got to be. And I think too, unfortunately, it also set this tone for ECW, uh, uh, with mm-hmm. the, the second iteration of ECW with WWE. And that, you know, there was no elements of really the old ECW. It was what, you know... WWE envisioned and what maybe the network of sci-fi and um but it was terrible. I mean, one that's funny but also really really terrible. Yeah, it absolutely was and and like you said it, it was wasn't just terrible for the fact that it was a zombie. It was terrible for the fact that this is what WWE thought ECW should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great pick and wow. Who know? Who knew that Sandman would be the best part of that first of the right. match on ECW? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, we talk about how how do some of these gimmicks come to light? Like at least some of them have at least a tiny bit of extra thinking added to them. But like like Kerwin White, at least they gave him a catchphrase. But with a zombie, they just went. Someone just wrote "zombie" on a whiteboard. Yeah, and ran with it. Go on the mic. Okay, what am I cutting? I don't know, just whatever. What would a zombie say? No, zombies don't say anything because they're dead. <laughs> and then he just, he just literally just moaning on a mic. Oh, what kind of music? You know, maybe so. Oh, this is, sounds like Dracula, right? They're movie monsters. They're in the same. Just literally booking by television committee. 
the yeah. sci-fi wanted it to be uh, in their wheelhouse. So yeah, let's chuck in a zombie. Let's chuck in some some ghosts. Let's chuck in Dracula. <laughs> Just it made absolutely no sense, and it it meant that ECW, well WWE ECW, was never going to be a success. No, yeah, it, it set it up for failure and that too. I think speaking and now that we know, almost in kind of a different tone of Daniel Bryan, now that we know how it ended, that beginning was not absolutely not a, a good sign. But uh, too, I think it's still one of the more hilarious random debuts uh, in in recent memory or you know within the past ten years uh, or so. And it just it's just. Oh my gosh, it's just that, you know, or even yeah, even longer than that because that that was you know uh, earlier than than I think when this video was posted. But overall, like yeah, it just was, it was bad. It was that that that's bad. It's you know who of, it was? Did did they go on and have a, a better career? No, the the guy. I think he died in about yeah. 2015. I think he was only yeah, like he, 38. He unfortunately passed away not several probably from years. embarrassment. <laughs> I don't actually think he it did was have. I, I did see that he had some matches out on the independent scene afterward. Um, so I think he had, a, you know, a decent independent career because that too we've also seen when someone has, you know, that one gimmick that that is ex- that is seen nationwide or worldwide on the scale of WWE. You could take it and run with it for quite a while on the independent scene. Oh yeah, Bo- uh, Boogeyman makes good money, I, I believe. Yes. yes. He even so. turned down a, a return to WWE because he makes so much money on the Indies. Yeah. Right, back to me for my potentially my final pick, uh, depending on whether I veto Paul. But uh, Paul spoke about one that, uh, that, that pretty much ended straight after. I've got one that ended during his debut. Um, so, um, Dustin Rhodes... We uh, we know him as a as a living legend. He's had a thirty two year uh, wrestling career, and despite being in the shadow of his of his larger than life father, Dusty, he's, he's definitely carved his own kind of unique way in the wrestling world. Uh, he's had success everywhere where he's where he's been. He won uh, titles in uh, uh, Championship Wrestling Florida, WCW. Uh, came to the WWF for his uh, first long-term run in the company in 1995 when he debuted as Goldust, um, the the sexually androgynous gimmick, uh, and a character that gave him uh, the majority of his, his success as a singles wrestler and and uh, gave him the kind of opportunity to be creatively stretch himself. Uh, and it, it was also a great way for him to differentiate himself from his uh, from his father. But in uh, late 1999, Goldust uh, Gold left the WWE uh, to return to what he called his homie WCW with, uh, with a new and, frankly, horrific gimmick. Um, inspired by the, the strangers from the movie Dark City, uh, WCW started airing vignettes of uh, Dustin in a pure white Goldust-style makeup. Uh, standing outside uh, a child's bedroom in the pouring rain and 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 chanting to this child uh, to uh, basically it, like a child molester. Uh, so just before his debut on on TV, Turner's uh, standards and practice pulled the gimmick because 
they started to to kind of come to the realization that this gimmick ain't gonna cut it in 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 this in this wrestling um, uh, atmosphere. The fact that he does look like he's going to abduct and potentially molest that child. Yeah. But he should have come to Britain. Yeah, <laughs> but but the powers that be in WCW still character, uh, and sent him down to the ring to debut. Uh, but he he went on kind of a worked uh, shoot style promo where he absolutely ripped apart the gimmick. He said that he wanted to return home to WCW to to be himself. Uh, but uh, the the creative told him that Dustin is boring. Dustin can't get over. Uh, he poked fun of his own outfit and uh, said he was being forced to dress like Uncle Fester. He uh, ripped apart his uh, Goldust character, saying that he left WWF because of that and. Uh, it's ironic that he he went back and and played that that gold dust character for another twenty years afterwards. Um, so after this horrific debut, he uh, he returned to wrestle as Dustin uh, under under the nickname of the American Nightmare, uh, and he was actually with WCW until they 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 got bought up by WWF and he tran- uh, transitioned back over. Uh, and he would then spend the next uh, two decades in and out of uh, WWF, jumped to uh, to TNA um, a couple of times, and then uh, did some really successful indie runs. Uh, now he's uh, he's doing great things in in AEW with his uh, with his brother Cody. So yeah, I'm going to go with Dustin Rhodes as the character Seven. Yeah, I'm, I can't veto that because exactly what you're saying earlier, kind of about Kerwin White. It, it, it... Just you describing that makes me shudder. Have you have you ever seen the the the, the vignettes? I've not seen the vignettes. I've seen the promo, but not the vignettes. The the look it up. Just it's about forty five seconds long, and it tells you everything you need to know about why this character was horrific. Yeah, I don't think I want to, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> for 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 that reason, like I can't veto it because uh, no. Uh... This this was one of my it was on my short list absolutely uh, and I actually watched the actual debut when he you know was on Nitro mm-hmm. and that in of itself was pretty hilarious because he was on this cable harness and kind of was supposedly gliding to the ring um, and I don't quite remember how they were able to I guess they did some camera cutting so that they could take off the harness and he could walk in but God it was so weird and you could hear fans laughing like. Distinct laughter um, in the background as he's supposed to be gliding through this the the walkway um, because it just was it was too over the top and mm-hmm. yeah even his makeup was terrible he had these red circles under his eyes yeah. that he was trying to look like I think um, uh, Hellraiser um, like I felt like that that was a big influence well, it, but yeah definitely with the, the the costume when he took off his coat he had the the kind of a uh... The, the gothic uh, black leather and and uh, stainless steel rings on so yeah it, it had to be a, a lot of uh, influence from Hellraiser. That's got to be the worst crowd reaction. A laugh, like wrestling yes. fans or like have such a extended kind of tolerance for for like silliness anyway. So to kind of go beyond that and get a laugh, that's worse than a CM Punk chant or a Shave Your Back chant. Shave your back. That's that's one of my favourite chants ever. When you're being yeah. told to shave your back. <laughs> but but to end a gimmick 
in the ring whilst you're introducing the gimmick. That's that's some amazing booking. Yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, that's that's that just implosion uh, right in the middle of the ring. It just, yeah, that I I can't veto that because it really oh, it was terrible. It was it was bad, and it was one of those things they wanted it to work. You know, they it sounds like they put so much energy and time into this, but ultimately, like, at what point did did I know at some point they realized this is not going to work, but they just couldn't go back. Like, again, they had just kind of maybe booked themselves into a corner where they're like, well, we just got to go with it, even though we know it's going to be a sinking ship. Again, though, it's one of those things where you, you'd like to just sit in on the meeting and and think, who put forward? Let's have someone who could potentially be a child molester as, as a, a gimmick. Yeah, that's going to work. That's really going to get over. Oh, it's... it's Wrestling. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Miranda, let's go to you for your final pick on this This absolutely terrible set of Mount Rushmore's. Right? Oh, man. So, I, um, I'm i going to stick with WCW, and I'm actually going to be sticking with the Ultimate Warriors debut oh, in WCW. Oh, Jesus. This one. Ooh. So, I know that they, you know, with... Uh, at this point, I think when, with the Warrior being introduced was really at a time when WCW was somewhat struggling in the Monday Night Wars. And um, at one point, they really were evaluating, you know, what, what they could do to help change that tide. And I think, you know, relying on history, knowing what fans um, wanted and what made them excited, uh, they uh, agreed to bring on the Ultimate Warrior, which I think, according for trademark reasons, was only going by Warrior. Um, and they brought him in to fight to go up against Hulk Hogan. And all that we got was just this big, <laughs> long... Um, promo uh of just the warrior just talking incoherently um and talking and and really just rambling um and you could just the the crowd you know was wasn't grasping on to him as much as i think the company had hoped for and it was i think a way with a lot of these fans at that time who had grown up with warrior who are now adults realizing that's not the warrior that i knew as a kid and also what the hell did i think when i was a kid was that i thought you know that warrior promos made sense i think that fans were a lot more smarter at that point and realized that this program with with hogan wasn't going to be the same as then as was what they thought it was going to be or as it was um, back in the 80s and i think again it was a setup to oh just a really bad program as well you know it, it just it, it was one that definitely makes you cringe, but just more of like, oh, it just it was just really, really hard to to watch. And it also was a sign too that WCW was in that decline and they were just grasping for straws. And, you know, they did have a somewhat of a reliance on pulling, you know, wrestlers from the WWF. And this was one that just did not work. And a big Achilles heel for WCW was the argument that they didn't grow their own home talent there wasn't a lot of of wrestlers that they grew they just pulled and relied a lot on the history in the past uh of wrestling instead of focusing on the future and uh uh yeah and and of course you know you had the big pyro and smoke and 
uh, yeah, there was, you know, ways to try and get the fans excited about this, but it ultimately felt really, really flat. Yeah, it's a, a, it's a terrible debut. And it always felt to me like this was only happened because Hogan wanted his kind of win back against a warrior and, and that he was... He was the most comfortable with the people who he knew he could he could get a a, a, a a story out of. I mean, he worked so much with like the likes of Macho Man. Uh, he brought over uh, Earthquake uh, to to WCW, and then obviously Warrior. That he brought people he knew and people who were his friends, and uh, just because he felt more comfortable with them. But yeah, it was it, this was terrible. Uh, the way that the the damn near paralyzed the British Bulldog because of the trap door that uh, was going to be there for, yes, for Warriors' uh, debut. Oh, my uh, gosh. The, yeah. Like I said, the smoke what uh, would only knock out certain people. Uh, yeah, the the appearing in the mirror. Yeah, it was, just, it was just not a sign of the times. It was very much like... Uh, Early to mid nineties style uh, booking, rather than what what people wanted at that time, which was more reality based. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a great pick. Yeah, it is. What, what was that British bulldog story? Uh, the 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 bulldog uh, injured his back in a in a match that happened before uh, Warrior's debut because they put a, a trapdoor in, in underneath the ring so Warrior could appear. And uh, Bulldog didn't know it was was there, and uh, he hurt his back on it. Oh wow! So it wasn't just a bad de- debut for Warrior. Then it was <laughs> could have been yeah, bad no, for exactly for Davy Boy as well. That's also a sign of you know things with the Ultimate Warrior. Just it, it impacts more than just the Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, he thought he was still a pretty big deal at this time, and realized that you know I don't think people just stopped caring about him. They really did, and and the fans were just really not receptive to him coming back. Um, but I think in Warrior's mind, he thought that this was going to be this big career revitalization. He was going to go back and you know have this program with Hulk, which helped to find his career in the 80s um and it was a complete bust yeah and i think the one of the biggest problems was the fact he was he was so inextricably linked with the wwf for that and he had no kind of there was no change in his character to say to show that he was different in wcw it was literally just the same character seven years onwards whereas like uh, other people who they brought in like macho man started to change his character hogan obviously had the one of the the biggest heel turns of of all time and he kind of like ingrained himself in wcw where warrior wasn't he just felt like oh, we're bringing in a, an old wwf star and he just the fans weren't receptive to it at all yeah, it, it, basically everything that happened for Warrior af- after WWF was was just sad and tragic, really. Yeah. So, Paul, let's go to you to potentially round our Mount Rushmore of, of horrific debuts off. Okay, right. So, I'm surprised he hasn't come up already. Um, but uh, <laughs> during 1990, a giant egg began to <laughs> began to be displayed. <laughs> WF events and just I mean just that I don't I don't even know what people were expecting from that point it was an egg like, I think people were disappointed at what came out of the egg but as soon as an egg started appearing you might why are people think getting excited but but people did get a bit excited by the egg um and the WF really hyped the both the appearance and the potential contents of the egg um it, it was quite a big angle um 
during 1990. Um, but like I said, what, what, what could it have possibly been? What, what could have come out of the egg that was better? Um, the, the, a lot of the rumor was that, that, that the undertaker was supposed mm-hmm. to arise from the egg. And just, just thank God that didn't happen. Miranda would not have been put in the Undertaker. No, the Undertaker. He, we, he would have not have had the career he had. So thank God for that. <laughs> so at least we got that. Um, but yeah, it was there throughout 1990, and and comes of I was here in 1990 in uh, in Mean Gene's own words, the incubation was over, and uh, this mysterious egg finally hatched. Um, and from it emerged a giant, frizzy, bug-eyed turkey called the Gobbledygooker. <laughs> it's the most <laughs> ugly-looking turkey I've oh, ever seen. Oh, it's so terrible. Oh I mean, it, it's ridiculous. It, it barely looks like a turkey. I don't know what it looks I, like. No, I don't I don't know either. They're almost like a chinchilla, or I don't know. Like, there's some other oddly animal out there like just an urban myth legend like if the chupacabra had you know like a turkey neck i feel like that <laughs> that's what they should have uh based I mean, model out of i mean i'm sure this reference would go over your head miranda but it reminded me of the the mini eggs parrot uh Darren, yeah. him, you yeah. know. Hello. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. he absolutely does. Poor Hector Guerrero has <laughs> been saddled with that. Yeah, the, the Guerreros are getting screwed on this list. I, like, <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. Well. Like the Guerreros and Justin Roberts, they've really been bummed out right. on this list. <laughs> <laughs> They're professionals. Justin Roberts and the Guerreros, two of the best professionals in, in wrestling. They had to just go through some some rough, rough intros, rough debuts, but they did it. They did it. They got there. Um, it. And just like a lot of others on our list, it's hard to know what the plan was beyond, beyond the goblin coming out of the egg. The 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 rumors was that they, he was going to go basically city to city and be a big star for WWF, but it just didn't. All. <laughs> which can you I mean I even why. back in the, the, the kind of like innocent times of wrestling in the 90s how did they expect this to work how how well anyway he, he came out and he danced the night away with uh, Mean Gene Oakland and then he danced danced away off the screen until uh, until Wrestlemania 17 when he uh, reappeared still as Hector, still Hector Guerrero play, playing him <laughs> Um, in the gimmick battle royale, where he was eliminated second, um, but at least the Undertaker turned out all right. Yeah, can you imagine him being overshadowed as your your debut? You're the you're the the most loved and best known gimmick in the, all of wrestling, and you could have been overshadowed by a, a bloke in a turkey suit. <laughs> I mean, also if you just look at biology, what how why? Undertaker come out of an egg it does make sense like birds come out of eggs so I can appreciate that you know we always give WWE a hard time with storyline continuity and and credibility but at least they went in that direction that a human didn't come out of an egg it was it was a bird (laughs) yeah not just any human the Undertaker yes (laughs) I mean the egg the Undertaker couldn't have even fit in that egg it was only That's a, true. He's a big egg. dude. They would have yeah. needed a bigger egg. <laughs> I like Mean Gene um, 
kind of kind of hypothesized what was inside and he said a dinosaur a rabbit which also doesn't come from an egg or balloons <laughs> he was already kind of playing it down <laughs> as if it was just yeah. going to be balloons <laughs> he's like everyone's going to be disappointed this ain't yeah. going to be good <laughs> You're all going to be disappointed. So, you know, let's just start oh, throwing balloons. some rich things. <laughs> balloons. balloons make you happy because you're, you're not going to like what's in this egg. Wow. It's a great pick. I, I was very tempted to, to beat all, uh, but no, I can't take off it, the gobbledygooker. You, I, you know, it's a kind of a, also a great way to bookend this list with, I think, two of the biggest terrible debuts of all time like that that's that's so synonymous i think shock masters one and then like one a is gobbledy gobbledygooker absolutely we we wouldn't have done our jobs correctly here if uh, if we didn't have shock master and gobbledygooker on to be fair though how many mount rushmores do we ever kind of like we always make a mockery of them by by vetoing off absolutely brilliant picks just to be petty just because so, we hate each other yeah yeah so i'm I'm actually tempted now to veto it just, <laughs> just to keep in line with the show <laughs> yeah. i knew uh, i knew if there was there was one in particular that i knew was if it was going to be mentioned i was going to veto and it hasn't been mentioned so you know the, i the others i was going to wait and see but i knew there was one in particular that if it was going to be mentioned i was going to veto right away so what was going to be it was going to be the debut of glacier Oh, do you know, okay. I, I had that on my kind of maybe list. Uh, yeah, I didn't I, end up going yeah. with it, but... I he I just, I've, I met the man Glacier himself. He's a lovely man, and I just would not feel very comfortable doing that to him. Uh, and I think at the time, they had very good intentions with this, you know, Glacier and what they wanted to do. And uh, I know it was pretty much a big Mortal Kombat spirit you know, uh, rip off, but I also enjoy Mortal Kombat and pro wrestling. So I don't also see what the big difference, you know, deal is. Um, and I think overall, like it, it, it's more in hindsight that I think it was terrible. Whereas in the moment, I think, uh, it wasn't as terrible as some of these things on the list. So, uh, but, but Ray Lloyd is, he's just a, a lovely man. And I just could not do that to him. I could not put him on this list. Yeah. The, the reason I kind of like, um, um, uh, went past that pick was was the fact that he actually made it work for me. I think yes. whilst he he it was a a very poor gimmick to be saddled with. The fact he was a a martial uh, artist and he he really kind of did make it work and and they 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 ran with it for for quite a while. So yeah, I, he didn't make my list because of that. Yeah. Yes. So, so similarly, I I had one I was definitely going to veto that I thought Darren might might, might have brought up and. That was we've had the disagreement about it before. That is Brodus Clay. Because oh, oh, I I laughed and laughed and laughed at Brodus Clay's <laughs> debut, but in the right way. I thought it I thought it was genuinely one of the best punchlines WWE ever ever told. But I know you didn't like it. I was waiting for you to say it. No, I, I try and, and erase that from my memory, and then every now and again you'll bring it back up. So yeah, thanks for that. Uh, no, I actually all the the majority of mine have been covered. I have only had one that we haven't mentioned, and that was uh, one that I don't think you two you may not remember. It was a, a character called Fantasio. Yes. And, oh yes, <laughs> and he oh, he yes. was literally just a one and done. He showed up. Uh, he was actually. The guy, Harry Del Rios, was someone who you would expect Vince to absolutely fall in love with. He was like six foot three, uh, yeah. 280 pounds of just pure muscle. 
Uh, but he did the worst thing that you could ever do, and he told Vince of uh, some of, of his, like, his uh, real life. He told him that he was a, uh, a real magician. So Vince ran with it, and obviously you don't do that kind of stuff with Vince. Yeah, if you, you tell Vince you're gonna you can him. puke on a football, your nickname's puke. Don't. You tell him that you're a magician, <laughs> you 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 a magician. So yeah, the the watching his his first matches, it's just it's just bizarre. He actually gets a a, a decent squash match really, but it's the fact that he uh, removes his opponent's underwear after the match, and then removes Earl Hebner's underwear as well, which were black and white straps, because obviously he's a referee, and that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, How about Justin Roberts? Was his underwear safe? <laughs> strangled him with his own underpants. <laughs> oh, but yeah, he had one match, and that was it. It was one and done. And um, He did an interview in 2006 and said he, he was under the impression that he didn't get over because the character was too similar to the undertaker, which I, just, I don't <laughs> understand because I mean, the undertaker's known for that, um, embalming people and, and putting people in body bags. And I don't think ripping people's underpants from, from him is kind of the same thing, but, uh, yeah, I, I was going to use Fantasio. That would have been a good one. And you're right. Like, Physically, he looks great. You know, he's tall, he's buff, but then you see his face, and it's just like, what? What is here? Out here on the West Coast in the states, we have a lot of artwork that is more uh, attributed to gang life, and you may hear those or see these prints of like "Laugh Now, Cry Later" Cholo type of artwork. His face looks just like that, you know, with like the sad clown face mask, like. He should. They should have just, you know, repackaged him as some kind of like L.A. gangster or something like that, and it may have been more put over than a magician. Yeah, definitely an L.A. gangster that can tell what card you picked out of a deck of fifty-two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold. Book it now. Like, I'm sold. Come on, AEW, revive that gimmick. <laughs> Don't give him any ideas. Yeah. Uh, as we said, they obviously listen to content from uh, the Chairshot Radio Network, so you're welcome, AEW. Um, just make sure to give the Badlands a shout-out when we see Fantasio. No, don't do that. Do not saddle us with any kind of link to Fantasio, too. <laughs> <laughs> Fantasio. Uh, well, Miranda, this has been absolutely hilarious. Uh, what we need from you now is a, a topic for a future guest. What kind of Mount Rushmore would you like to hear from? Oh, you know, uh, uh, one of my my hobbies, uh, if you consider a hobby, is uh, wrestling merchandise. So I don't know if you would do some of the, uh, I was talking about terrible, maybe some of the worst wrestling merchandise uh, ever. Uh, and I imagine there's there's some out there. It would take some research, but I know there's some quirky wrestling merch, especially from the 80s out there, uh, that would have a, a fun time. Or maybe some of the best uh, out there, but I would think there's the worst because, you know, you talk about toys, you talk about videos, uh, you talk about all these kind of random pieces of wrestling merch out there that, uh, that would be pretty funny to, to talk about and highlight. Yeah, we've uh, we've uh, almost had this as a as a topic before. I think we've we've had it mentioned with a guest, but it never kind of come off. We didn't uh, 
whether we just didn't have the right guest for the topic or, or what, but yeah, there's some horrific merchandise and one that I was going to bring up then and I'll definitely be bringing up is is the Hulk Hogan uh, meat warming trainers. <laughs> <laughs> Do, do, do you remember us speaking about that, Paul? I do. I wanted this topic to come up so because I, I, I've deliberately not Googled it because I want you to tell me about these <laughs> meat-warming <laughs> trainers. Apparently, I mean, I, I won't go into it in too much detail because it definitely deserves a show its own, but apparently they never actually made it to market, shockingly enough. I wonder why. <laughs> but when you talk are... about ideas that... Why? Why? Hulk Hogan trainers fine. It makes all the sense. Why would you not want a pair of trainers? What you can also warm up a sandwich filling in. <laughs> it makes absolute sense. I would buy some today. I really. I'd rock around with those. I mean, Maybe I not Hulk Hogan ones. But, yeah. <laughs> like if Roman Reigns brought them out. Well, that's a great topic, Brandon. Yeah, that's going to be another hilarious episode to to talk about. Uh, let all the Badlands listeners know where they can get hold of you on social media. I know you are not a, a Twitterer, uh, but uh, and where they can listen to the the shows on the chair shot that you're involved in. Yes, uh, so I am the Twitterless heroine, uh, as I've been coined. So I'm not on Twitter, but you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the hashtag Miranda, hashtag spelled out. Um, and then uh, I also will be, though, uh, doing a takeover of the Chair Shots Twitter account uh, for NXT TakeOver 31. So, and I do that for other episodes or other takeovers as well. Um, so uh, you can follow at Chair Shot Media on Twitter. And that's sometimes where I tweet here and there. Um, and then, of course, the Greg DeMarco Show and the Hashtag Miranda Show are both part of the Chair Shot Radio Network. You can find them on thechairshot.com. And you can also find them on your favorite podcast streaming platform like Spotify and Google play in itunes um so you could check them all out there that's absolutely awesome what is the reason behind you not having a twitter is it just you you don't like the the platform yeah so i, I just never got into it i could never do it and then i heard about wrestling twitter and then it got it scared me a bit uh, <laughs> it I don't scares think me I, and i'm heavily involved in it <laughs> i i i don't think i have the stamina and the fortitude to handle uh Sorry, that that's my dog Mickey. Everyone, he's he's uh, doing a shout out to thechairshot.com. I thought that was wrestling language. Twitter. Yes, yes. <laughs> Actually, my dog Sadie, she she's had some uh, pre hey a few weeks ago on the hashtag Miranda show. She was part of a conversation that Greg and I had about Dominic uh, Mysterio, and Sadie had some thoughts on Dominic Mysterio possibly surpassing his father um, in popularity one day. So my dogs do have some input uh, on content. Uh, it's an it's a inclusive show for animals. Uh, but, uh, yes, as far as Twitter, I, it's just a scary place for me, I have to admit. It's a lot. It's a lot. And so I was always just, you know, not, just wanting to stand back. I, I will always look at Twitters and watch and see what people are tweeting. There's a lot of fun things on Twitter, but it's a lot of work being a part of Twitter. Even just, you know, doing my thoughts on takeovers i gotta be witty i gotta be funny i gotta be accurate and i gotta stay under a certain amount of characters that that's a lot of balance work for me that 
that's all the reasons why Paul struggles on wrestling Twitter. <laughs> I didn't know they were requirements. I thought you just had to say stuff about food every once in a while. That that works though. That that'll get you that. many followers. <laughs> I can do that. I can talk about food. I'm good at that. I I'm good at. It's the other parts of wrestling Twitter that I'm terrible at, and I just, you know, I, I just would rather be in my little cocoon of Instagram. So, so are they? Uh, are they more kind of, more kind of uh, be- better mediums, kind of more settled mediums? Because I, I don't use Facebook or um, or Instagram. Same. Yeah, I, I literally only have wrestling Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> I would say yeah, they're a little bit more settled. I think Facebook still too has a, a lot going on, especially right now uh, with the current state of the world. And so you get you know, of course, people going back and forth uh, and all of that. But I think too, people will glide over things on Facebook because it's just not as popular to use anymore. Twitter is more succinct in messaging, so it gets straight to the point. Whereas in you know Facebook, people will write paragraphs and. Nobody got time to read paragraphs of information, obviously. <laughs> and Instagram is all about pictures. So visually, I think, you know, it's a, you know, and people just like in you know, life, they only post, you know, the best pictures of themselves. So it can lead a road of being envious of people like, oh, man, look at that. You know what they have. Yeah. There's things like filters and things like, you know, uh, special ways to make your pictures look the best that they can. But again, too, it's very fun to watch video clips and, and I think it's a to interact with people from all over. So, yeah, I just Twitter is exhausting. I literally every time I finish a takeover uh, from Chairshot Media, I just like shut down my computer for a bit and I just decompress because it's I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to do well on Twitter. I don't know how people do it. I, 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 live tweet shows. I, I, I haven't got the. I can't split my concentration enough to uh, watch a show and tweet about it at the same time. Same. I can't do it well either, but I try. I give it the good old college try. <laughs> well, you've been a, an amazing guest, and we'd, we'd definitely love to have you back on in, in the near future. You, yeah, it's just been hilarious. Hopefully, we'll get a, a, a better topic for you next time. Now, this is a perfect topic for me. Again, I love ridiculous things. This is a perfect topic for me. And like you said, too, you know, it's a way to not take wrestling too seriously. Uh, And that is something that I tend to do. So thank you, both of you, Paul and Mags, for having me on. I really uh, greatly appreciate it. This was a lot of of fun. And you guys are both fantastic. You're welcome. Thank you. We we really appreciate you coming on the show. And um, Paul? It's your favorite time of the week. I've got a question first. Oh, C- C- can we book Sadie for a future show? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I I'll have to talk with Matt her on Rushmore that. Of wrestling animals. Oh yeah. man, yes. I still say justice for Pepper. Um, oh, that's gonna be a my boy. <laughs> Pepper. Pe- Pepper had it coming. Oh! <laughs> no, that, that's don't... his boss man bias. Wow! Oh, hold on, I gotta recover from that. That, that, that hit me. That... I won't have anything bad said about Boss Man. I'm sure all his actions were justified. <laughs> 
Pepper was innocent in all this. Um, but yes, no, uh, I, I also am her manager, so we can work on something. She does have a little, you know, she does have some contractual things that she likes to go over first, but we'll put in, we'll stay in touch. And, um, <laughs> yeah, she, you know, she's a little bit of a diva. Um, that's just the way that she operates. But, you know, it's because she's a very high in demand talent. Um, she's also adorable like me. So we really run that train very, very well. But yes, no, absolutely. I'll talk with her. Um, we'll stay in contact. I'll send you some paperwork and, and we'll see what we can work out. <laughs> Great stuff. Look, looking forward to it. <laughs> Not as much as I look forward to this outro. Um, as I said last week, I've lost my script. I don't know where that's gone. I've written myself new notes and the sun's gone in. It's dark. I can't read my notes. So here we go. This will be entertaining as ever. <laughs> you can find... First off, you can... I'll take a lot of time editing it. Yeah. I like to do, <laughs> I like to do plenty of work. Uh, you can find us at Badlands Pod on Twitter. Hit us up there. Let us know um, who's Mount Rushmore you preferred tonight. Um, we have Miranda's of um, of Shockmaster, Kermit, White Zombie, and Warrior versus ours of uh, Tensai, Daniel Bryan, Seven, and the Gobbledygooker. Who was your favorite? Who did we miss out? Who should have been on there? Let us know. You can follow my good good friend and co-host, uh, Darren Mags, over at Dej Kirkby and his uh, excellent array of other podcasts he does uh, we've got the five rounds pod about ufc and mma that's at visionaries global media and at um at uh, shooting the sportish and chair shot and at chair shot as well wow paul it's everywhere <laughs> wow. no, i thought because miranda's already done the chair shot plugin so i thought i, I don't have to do that tonight <laughs> <laughs> now you'll just bring me in now. Now I feel like every time you'll just bring me in the last five minutes to be like, hey, Miranda, can you just do that that chair shop plug in? And, and I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll edit it and we'll just have it as a drop in. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see that. Um, you've got Talk at the Table. That's at Visionaries Global Media Network. Um, also Radio Techers. That's at Shooting Sports-ish. Um, you can follow me at Twitter. I'm at Rain Counter. As Darren's just let you know, I'm brilliant at it. So why wouldn't you follow me? Um, also, you can hear me over at Five Nerds Go. And of course, if you've enjoyed listening to this and you want to find it every single Thursday over at the Cheershot Radio Network um, and also hit up the Cheershot.com for all your hard-hitting pro wrestling opinion, analysis, news and more. As always, everybody, stay safe, stay warm. The weather's drawing in and, um, and always use your head. Chairshot.com. Always use your head.